0: been a target for bullies when I was a kid. It started to get really bad when I hit sixth grade and that was a pretty rough year. But I thought next year will be better because that is when I was switching schools. Because in my town, elementary school went to sixth grade and then we didn't have a middle school. Seven through twelve were all in one building. So, all of it was high school. I know the town would change that later, but when I was there, that's the way it was. And I thought, that'll be great, big school, I'll be able to blend in, maybe this bullying problem would go away. Unfortunately it didn't go away, it got worse. The weird thing is, the people who had been bullying me, which were my classmates, stopped completely, because now there was this whole new threat. People who were older than me, and my best friend and I, were the targets of one guy in particular. He was, at that point, a junior in high school, so a couple of years older than us, and much bigger than both of us. In retrospect, he wasn't that big of a guy, nor that tough, but he did enjoy picking on people who were smaller than him. And then for most of that year, he made my life miserable. But then something changed. A person entered my life very unexpectedly. At lunchtime, we didn't have assigned tables. You could move from table to table talking to different friends. And I did that and would discuss things I liked. Namely, video games, Dungeons and Dragons, comics, the normal stuff. One time I sat next to my friend and was telling him about a D&D session that I was planning, and there was a guy I had never met before who was about two seats away, and at some point during our conversation he started asking questions about Dungeons and Dragons. He was an upperclassman, I didn't know him, but I would get to know him over the course of the next few weeks. He had played D&D a couple of times when he was younger and he had an interest in it. And the reason he was talking to me even though he was a senior at this point was he was new to the school. He was coming in during his senior year to graduate from this high school, having spent most of his life in a completely different place. We had things that we liked in common, and so we got along pretty well, despite our age difference. One day, the guy who had been picking on my friend and I spotted me in the lunchroom. I was usually good at avoiding him. He sat way on the other side, but for some reason today he spotted me and he decided to come over and do the normal thing of teasing and taunting. Things that would often lead to him putting me in a chokehold, pushing me down, just generally trying to embarrass me. He sat down and started to tease me and then he pushed me and I fell. Now this new friend of mine was at this table and without hesitation He grabbed this guy and pulled him across the table just yanked him across the top of the lunch table and started Screaming at him the whole lunchroom stopped from this moment on I did not get bullied by that guy again And I cannot tell you how much that meant to me up till that point every day going to school was a challenge I didn't know what to expect I knew I couldn't concentrate on the things I needed to concentrate on but suddenly with this one act I was free I would encounter other bullies over the course of my years at school. But for one moment, because of an act of kindness, an act of friendship, I was free. I actually think about this a lot. Because I was so much younger than he was, and because he wasn't from the area, just a couple of months later he graduated and moved away, and I never saw him again. But the memory of that, and the kindness he showed me by defending someone who obviously needed defending, is never going to leave. On today's show, I'd like to talk to you about a movie that resonated with me as a young person, probably because I was often the target of bullying. And much like in the movie, I made a friend who made things better. The movie is called My Bodyguard. And on today's show, we'll talk about the people in front of and behind the camera. We'll talk about its production, its reception, its music, and we'll throw in a few surprises here and there. We have an info-packed episode ahead of us, so without further ado, let's start the show. I'm going to start off by reading the VHS for My Bodyguard. It's a magnetic video VHS, and it's in pretty rough shape, but it still plays. Starts off with a quote from Bob Thomas of the Associated Press. My Bodyguard is a soul-satisfying film, totally involving and richly rewarding. It touches the heart. And then we get into the description. Color, 1980 the comic adventures of a new student at a high school controlled by a teenage gang. From holdups in the hallways to beatings in the bathrooms, the newcomer becomes the gang's latest victim. Devising an ingenious but risky scheme to defend himself, he hires a bodyguard, a sinister student who never talks, but has a frightening reputation for violence, with special appearances by Ruth Gordon and Martin Mull, plus an unforgettable fight scene. My Bodyguard is both touching and very funny. Starring Chris Makepeace, Ruth Gordon, Martin Mull. Running time, 97 minutes. That is a pretty apt description, and it is a comedy, although it has a lot of elements of drama. I'm going to have to talk a bit more about the plot for all of this to make sense. Clifford Peach, played by Chris Makepeace, lives in a hotel, a luxury hotel, that his father manages. His father is played by Martin Mull, and his grandmother, who is played by Ruth Gordon, And this is all in Chicago. He is a new student at Lakeview High School. When he shows up, he stands out because he shows up in a hotel limousine, looks all important. Needless to say, when you stand out, you often become a target, and he becomes the target of a gang of bullies, led by Melvin Moody, played by Matt Dillon. This gang exists to extort money from students, and they say they do so because they're protecting them from another student, a dangerous-looking fella named Ricky Linderman, played by Adam Baldwin. There's a lot of lore around Linderman. People say he killed people, some people say he ate them, just the typical nonsense that you might hear in a high school. The big rumor is that he killed his own little brother, and it turns out that's not true. Instead, his little brother died while playing with a gun, and Ricky was the one who found his body, and it's messed him up. Because Clifford is clever, he decides to approach Ricky and says he'll pay him to be his bodyguard. He refuses, but they slowly start to come together and go beyond just this sort of financial arrangement. The movie takes an unexpected turn with this friendship, as they become buddy-buddy, when Moody gets his own bodyguard to fight Linderman, and the whole thing culminates in this great fight scene at the end, very well shot, lots of point of view, and Clifford himself fights poorly, so realistically, and it's just really well done. The kinetic and kind of confusing way that the fight scene happens very much captures what a fight is like, especially when you're in high school. But the bullying scenes still haunt me. The one in the bathroom, if you haven't seen this film, that has stuck with me. It's always been a fear that a bully of mine would have seen it in high school and done that to me. It's a story of how friendship can heal things and make life better, something that many of us in school could identify with. It had some very talented people working on this film. We'll start off with the director, Gerard Anthony Bill. He was born in 1940. He's a director, producer, actor. Would win an Academy Award as a producer when he worked on the 1973 film, The Sting. But he was also an actor who worked in things you might have seen. Things like Shampoo, Less Than Zero, and Pee-wee's Big Adventure. My Bodyguard was his directorial debut. Good choice. But he would go on to direct some other films you might have seen, like Crazy People and Untamed Heart. The film was written by Alan Ormsby. Ormsby began working with the director, Bob Clark, back in 1972 on Children Shouldn't Play With Dead Things. You might know Bob Clark. He directed a lot of great things. One of my favorite would be A Christmas Story. Ormsby not only co-wrote Children Shouldn't Play With Dead Things, he also provided the makeup because he's a very creative person. He not only could write, He's not only a good actor, but he could also do makeup. He would continue to work with Clark on a couple of other films, doing makeup, acting, and of course writing. In 1980, he would write My Bodyguard and Little Dragons. In 82, he would work on Paul Schrader's Cat People, fun film. And when Clark would do Porky's 2, he would write that. More contemporary things you might know of his were his work on The Mummy in the 90s and The Substitute in 1996. Ormsby has another great claim to fame if you're a fan of toys, and unusual toys specifically. He created the doll Hugo Man of a Thousand Faces, which you might know from The Pee Wee Herman Show, which is a bigger thing, or if you grew up in the New York, New Jersey area, from The Uncle Floyd Variety Show. If you liked toys that had face-changing capability, like Mr. Potato Head, then you probably would like Hugo, Man of a Thousand Faces. He was released back in 75, and he's a bald, kind of unusual-looking head with a hollow torso. What made him fun was that he came with an accessory kit. And if you read the box, Kenner said, by arranging all of the pieces, you could make over a thousand different combinations. There were eyebrows, noses, chins, scars, eyeglasses, bandages, facial hair, a wig. All of these things allowed you to do various things with Hugo. It's a very unusual toy. I was always interested in them myself, and a couple of times I've tried to pick them up at a reasonable price, but have never succeeded What I find interesting is that they're definitely made by a person who does makeup because instead of pegs and holes, like, say, Mr. Potato Head, there was a temporary glue that you got with Hugo to affix everything. So it was like early makeup training if you were going to get into motion pictures or TV or something like that. Are you a fan of the Retro's podcast? Do you like more retro stuff? Why not check out The Retroist Patreon? Go to patreon.com/retroist. Supporters of the show get bonus episodes, bonus tracks, bonus scans, access to the Retroist Discord and more. Feel good about yourself and make a difference in the world. Support The Retroist. Filming would begin in August of 1979 and would continue through September of 1979. So a pretty quick shooting schedule, and it was shot mostly in Chicago. The high school in the film was actually Lakeview High School, but they also filmed at the Omni Ambassador East Hotel, which is now just known as the Ambassador Hotel at 1301 North State Parkway. But they would film all around Chicago. So Chicago, which was all new to me, I would later live in that area and work there, was. Very exotic when I was growing up. My Bodyguard and the Blues Brothers and movies like that helped to fill in the blanks of what this giant city in the Midwest was all about. So the film has a pretty big cast, but I'm going to touch on the main cast. we will talk a little bit about some of the smaller roles as well, but quickly. The movie starred Chris Makepeace as Clifford Peach. Christopher Makepeace was born in 1964. He's a Canadian actor, no longer working. Best known probably for My Bodyguard, Meatballs, and the comedy horror Vamp. He began his acting career in 1974 on Canadian television and would continue to work in television even while he was working in film. If if you're a fan of The Littlest Hobo should check out his episode East Side Angels. His big breakthrough was a movie I adored, the comedy from 1979, Meatballs, starring Bill Murray. In that, he portrays a loner at a summer camp who has trouble fitting in. Not bullied like in this film, but Make Peace was a little typecast, I think. But My Bodyguard was a big role for him because of its positive reviews. So it's probably a toss-up between My Bodyguard and Meatballs for what film people might know him for. He also happened to be in another, I want to say movie, but it's a TV movie. One that starred Tom Hanks called Mazes and Monsters, which I've talked about on the show. Does a great job in that film. I guess when I was a kid, I was a pretty big Chris Makepeace fan. I saw everything he was in, and when I would see a video at the store and saw his name, I would take it home, probably because I identified with him at the time. Because of those three films, Meatballs, My Bodyguard, and Mazes and Monsters. I know Mazes and Monsters was maybe supposed to be a cautionary tale and scare you out of playing role-playing games had the opposite effect on me. I just wanted to play the game they were playing in that movie, even though it didn't even make much sense to me because it was so unlike the role-playing games I was actually playing. As I said, Makepeace retired from acting, instead moved behind the camera, but still working in film production. Tom Hanks and his friends get caught up in a deadly game of fantasy. I am the maze controller. Until they take it too far. I propose... We play Mazes and Monsters in a real setting. It won't be a fantasy. Too bad for one of them, because now there's no turning back. This is only a game. I know, I killed somebody. Mazes and Monsters. Saturday at 3 on ZTV. Adam Baldwin played Ricky Linderman. Baldwin has done pretty well for himself. He is not affiliated with the Baldwins, like Alec Baldwin and all the Baldwin brothers. He's just a Baldwin, not one of those Baldwins. He was born in 1962. This was his big film debut, but would quickly start working, appearing in films like Ordinary People and Full Metal Jacket. On TV, he would show up in things like The X-Files, Stargate, NCIS, Chuck, Serenity, and of course Firefly. A movie that I really like that he's in is DC Cab from 1983. Still surprised I haven't covered that. Fun fact, in the movie Drillbit Taylor from 2008, which I believe I saw in the theater, he reprises his role as Ricky Linderman because it's a movie about bodyguards. I was really thrilled to see him show up on the screen dressed in the same sort of outfit, but then criticizing the whole idea of kids hiring a bodyguard. I can't remember if I liked Drillbit Taylor, but once I remembered that, I thought, yes, I think I love Drillbit Taylor. Matt Dillon played Melvin Moody, Matthew Raymond Dillon, born 1964 an Emmy and Grammy-nominated performer, made his feature film debut in Over the Edge in 1979, and then really took off in 1980 with My Bodyguard and Little Darlings*. then would work on Tex, Rumblefish, The Outsiders, Drugstore Cowboy, Singles, Beautiful Girls, the list goes on and on. Something I learned about him, he is related to the comic strip artist Alex Raymond, who created Flash Gordon. It's a distant relation, but still a relation. My once in My sister loved Matt Dillon, had a huge crush on him, and whenever I would watch My Bodyguard, she would talk about how cute she thought he was, and it irritated me to no end, because he's the bad guy in the film, and you're not supposed to like the bad guy, but my sister liked a bad boy, and boy is Melvin Moody a bad boy. Martin Mull played Larry Peach. Martin Eugene Mull, born in 1943, actor and comedian who has appeared on countless movies and TV shows. His big breakthrough role was on Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman, and then its spinoff, Fernwood Tonight. If you watch TV in the 80s and 90s, you might recognize him from his work on Roseanne or in the 1985 film Clue, where he played Colonel Mustard. He was also on Sabrina the Teenage Witch, Arrested Development, Two and a Half Men, and the list goes on and on and on. I will always remember him as the jerk boss from Mr. Mom. Ruth Gordon played Grandma Peach. Ruth Gordon Jones, born in 1896 and passed away in 1985. A prolific actor who started working on Broadway at age 19. So we're talking 1915, she's on Broadway. An interesting character, should check out just any article about her. She lived an interesting life. When she was on Broadway, she started working in the silent films when silent films were shot in Fort Lee, New Jersey, which is the Hollywood of New Jersey. Or is Hollywood the Fort Lee of California? I don't know. But that's how long she was working in film. And she managed to jump from the silent era, despite having a sort of nasally voice that shut a lot of other people down. She would have a renaissance in the 60s, starting with Rosemary's Baby, and then would work in Whatever Happened to Alice, of course, Harold and Maud, Huge movie. If you're an orangutan buff, she was in Every Which Way But Loose and Any Which Way You Can. And then this film, My Bodyguard. While doing that, she would also be working on television, making appearances on lots of great shows at the time. Those are the major characters in the film, but there's lots of other great actors in this. Joan Cusack, in one of her first roles, plays Shelley. Her father, Richard Cusack, who's the patriarch of the Cusack clan, plays the principal in the film. Paul Quant, I believe this is Paul Quant's only film, played Carson. Great character role, he does a great job in the film. Very memorable. Tim Raina played Kuntz. Dean Miller played Hightower. John Houseman makes an appearance as Dobbs, great voice. Craig Richard Nelson played Griffith. Tim Kazarinsky, who for a brief time was on Saturday Night Live, has a small role in the film, as does George Wendt, pre-Cheers. And finally, uncredited, but in this film, Jennifer Beals makes it onto the big screen as one of Shelley, Joan Cusack's friend. Welcome freshmen to Montclair High School. This year, this class is special because this year, this class is challenged. Oh, great. How come it's so big? Are you gonna be late? Why does everyone look older than you? Do you have a path? I'm looking for my homeroom. I need your path. I'm new here. I need your path. i you go in the right direction. How come you just don't know what to do? Welcome to Astronomy 2. Whoops. By the end of the day, you're finding tonight oh great it's a good time for the crazy days tomorrow will be better This film has great music. Unfortunately, it was never released as a soundtrack for people to listen to. But if you're a fan of the music after hearing it, a lot of people have put it on YouTube for you to enjoy. Now, I'm not sure if this is true, but I heard that while they were mastering the DVD release, they somehow damaged the original source music. And so there's a chance that we could never fully recover the music from this film. But my fingers are crossed that somewhere out there we can get our hands hands-on, the music from this film, because it was put together by a very talented person, Robert Grusin. Robert David Grusin was born in 1934. He's a composer, arranger, producer, pianist, band leader. He is a co-founder of GRP Records with Larry Rosen, and they got in very early on the digital recording game. Grusin has won an Academy Award and 10 Grammy Awards. He has composed not only for feature films, but television. And I wouldn't just listen to that because he does a great job there, but his solo albums are great. I didn't come around to them until just a couple of years ago when I was browsing a bargain bin of cassettes and found one bright red cassette when I saw his name and thought, well, I know his music from film and television. Let me bring this home. And now his music is in my regular playlist of music I listen to, especially to relax or if I want a little inspiration. The film opened on July 11th, 1980 in limited release, giving it time. I think they were pretty convinced this film was going to do well in terms of reviews and would go into wide release on August 15th, 1980. During its limited release, it would premiere at number three, and with its budget of $3 million, it would make $22.5 million, so pretty good. When it went wide in August of 1980, the word of mouth had peaked, and they used that word of mouth to promote it in commercials like this one. We talked with some folks who just saw the new movie, My Bodyguard. (laughs) (laughs) fantastic! I love it rocky and breaking away together well worth it my third time seeing it like action you know i'd see it again we all felt good for a change out of ordinary it's really relatable if that's a word it's great it's like a rocky whoever said the good guys finished last hasn't seen this movie come and see it i'd like you to meet my bodyguard my bodyguard rated now playing at a select theater near you so I printed out some stuff from my local paper about My Bodyguard when it came out. And the movie critic at the time in my area, Jim Wright, was all over this film. Not only did he review it, they also did an interview with Tony Bill, the director, that was quite flattering. Jim Wright jumps in right away, comparing the film to a film that had come out the summer before Breaking Away, which he called a delightful human comedy about coming of age in an Indiana university town, a film that was short on big-name stars and long on insights. And this summer, a little film called My Bodyguard follows the same pattern, and furthermore, it is one of the rare intelligent films in a somewhat dreary year. The story has much to offer to adults as well as teenagers. And I think he's looking at... This in the context of the time where you could criticize films like Animal House, because he brings up food fights in some of the things he critiques, and then talks about how this is much more real. And I agree, and yet it is real feeling, and at the same time does manage to have heart and tell a story. Wright aptly pulls out not just the fact that it has great direction, which it does, but it has a good cast. Very believable people cast in these roles. Not just the main roles, which I focused on, but a lot of those supporting characters, people like Paul Quant and Joan Cusack, really add to the flavor of this film. What's funny is in this review, there is a photo of Chris Makepeace, Paul Quant, and Joan Cusack, and Paul Quant is wearing a shirt that just says Jock on it. I had that very shirt when I was growing up. I have no idea where it came from. I have no idea why I had it. I did not feel like I was a jock when I wore it, but I had it, so I could very much relate to Paul Quant in this film. I also managed to track down the film listing from the week that it came out wide in my area, and we only had the fourplex in my town at this point, and it was not showing my bodyguard. Instead, what we were seeing was The Empire Strikes Back, which my sister took me to see, Angie Dickinson's Dress to Kill, the special edition of Close Encounters of the Third Kind, and Airplane. If I wanted to see My Bodyguard at the theater, I would only have to drive one town over, so not bad. And My Bodyguard has pretty good presence on the page. An ad that's about a sixth of the page. Not the biggest. The special edition of Close Encounters is the biggest. But mostly quotes from people who are loving the film. My favorite is, My Bodyguard is as refreshing as lemonade on a hot afternoon. That was from ABC Television. But people are calling it the summer sleeper and soul-satisfying. Comedy told with tender-loving, care by the producer of The Sting. All apt. I am surprised it did as well as did because there's a lot of stuff playing in movies. Older films, revived films, and just films you've heard of. Just on this page alone, you have Close Encounters, you have Fame, you have Steve McQueen, The Hunter, you have Xanadu, The Final Countdown, Blue Lagoon, Raise the Titanic, Smokey and the Bandit 2, Airplane, The Blues Brothers, and Bon Voyage Charlie Brown is playing in Matinees. If I flip the page, there's even more films. Movies like Prom Night, Dressed to Kill, and even Caddyshack. So the film jumped into a pretty crowded field and still managed to be quite profitable and critically successful. I love browsing the old newspapers because you find things that just trigger all sorts of memories. For example, because this is late summer, that meant that the 3rd annual New York Renaissance Festival was happening in Sterling Forest in Tuxedo, New York, and they would play commercials for this all of the time on TV, and I desperately wanted to go. I could never talk my family into going. And it would run for 7 weekends, and I could still never get them to go. But I remember even seeing these ads in the paper, and bringing them to my mom. Hear ye, hear ye. Sterling Forest opens its glorious gates for this spectacular event. Recapture history with us, and enjoy medieval entertainment, gaming, feasting, and a fine craft marketplace. Pageantry, jousting, processions, and troubadours are among the delightful festivities. Oh, I wish I could have gone there. See the pages of history unfold. While fantasy tales are told at the New York Renaissance Festival. Zooms as if by Merlin magic. 500 performers and craftsmen are there. Shakespeare, Chaucer, a grand pleasure fair. Come in costume, colors so bright. Thrill to the joust. Spend your day with our knights. Weekends now through mid September at Sterling Forest, the New York Renaissance Fair, where all the fairs are staged. <laughs> My local paper didn't just like this film. Everyone seemed to. It was named one of the top ten films by the National Board of Review in 1980. It was nominated by the Writers Guild of America for Best Drama, written directly for the screen. And at the time, people were saying that the film was snubbed at the Academy Awards that year, especially for original screenplay. Afterwards, the film would still garner fans, it's got good ratings on aggregation sites, and occasionally gets listed by websites and magazines in best-of films from that era, although not often enough. Now, I did not see this film in the theater. I wish I had, but I think I was a little too young to appreciate it at the time. But I did see it when it premiered on HBO, and it resonated very strongly with me. And I don't think I missed a showing of it when it was being played. When I got access to a VCR, it would become a film that I would often rent, renting it multiple times. And when I worked at multiple video stores, if I had the opportunity to play the film, I would play it there. Because when you put it on, the fans come out of the woodwork. They'll remember having seen it or remember the hype about it. And then they'll either buy a copy or rent a copy. And that was a lot of fun. And I'm glad this film came out on HBO because it got a second life and then it rolled into VHS and then onto DVD. And you can stream it on Max or buy a copy digitally on Amazon or Apple TV. So it's out there if you'd like to watch it. You could always, of course, find a physical copy if you want to get it on VHS even. It's still just a couple of bucks to get a copy. They still haven't released the film on Blu-ray, but I keep my eyes open hoping to see it there. I have not streamed it. I use my copy, which is a DVD copy. So I'm not sure if the streaming versions are higher quality. So if you're not a DVD, fan i'm sure max or any digital person you want to buy it from will give you a pretty good copy of it and it actually gets posted from time to time to youtube so you might be able to just watch it there depending on when you do your search I think that what they said about the film being snubbed at the Academy Awards is important because the film is really good. It has a great cast. It is lovingly directed and written. And it resonates with people. But it entered a crowded field that year. Lots of competition on all sides. Good dramas. Big films like The Empire Strikes Back are out. And it just sort of got lost. And yes, it would come out on cable and get more fans. And being out on home video helped. But it is one of those films that never broadly had appeal. The people who love it really love it. And then there's a whole bunch of other people who've never even heard of it. So I'm hoping that I could persuade you to check out this film. It's got something for everyone and you will not be disappointed. Thanks for listening to the show. For more retro fun, you can drop by the website at retroist.com. Follow me on social media. Usually you can find me at Retroist at whatever social media you're using. I tend to favor Twitter nowadays, but I've been trying Mastodon and Blue Sky. The music you hear on the show is by Peachy. If you like what you hear, you should follow Peachy on Twitter and Twitch. He's at PeachyPixel8. That's the word Peachy, the word Pixel, and the number 8. Thanks to everyone who's been supporting the show. If you'd like to support the show, you can do so by giving the show a 5-star review wherever you download it. Those 5-star reviews are really all, nowadays, that help people find the show. So, if you could bring yourself to do that, I would really appreciate it. If you'd like to support the show further, I'm on Patreon at patreon.com retroist Supporters of the show there get bonus episodes, bonus scans, and access to the Retroist Clubhouse on Discord, which is the greatest retro community on Discord. Thanks to everyone for listening to the show, and I hope you have a great weekend. your dad do? He watches TV. This has been a reckless production. Goodbye.